0: Whoa.
1: My name is Ginger Donnell, creator and host of Broken Boxes podcast. This episode marks three years of this project and is also the 60th episode. I am so grateful to continue to share the voices, ideas, and stories of the artists from our time who are affecting change with their work. The main intention of this podcast project has always been to give the listening audience insight, advice, connection, all while allowing the featured artist, a platform to truly express their views and perspectives without any restrictions or imposed narrative. This intention continues as we embark on another year of conversations. And I want to say thank you to all of the artists who have participated so far and thank you to all of the folks listening across the world. I appreciate you all and I truly believe that we are the ones we have been waiting for. I stand in solidarity with you and I will continue to use what means I have to be a connection point between worlds to use my privilege and my technology to hold space and respect for the stories that need to be shared. And so in this episode, I am very honored to share my conversation with Chinese American queer artist, Jess X Snow. This episode will begin with a live recording of a poem spoken by the artist at a recent TED talk. The poem is titled, Hunger Drives the Body into Imagination.
2: We are at the border again. Here is a canvas so white, it is ready for paint. An ocean so stormy, it is ready for sailing. A fence so solid, it is ready for crossing. So go ahead and jump. Watch our shoulders spread into sails that will never face the direction of home again. The Border Patrol will ask us, go back to where you came from. But where we came from is the mouth of a gun that our families soared out from just in time. Where we came from is the factory where we work the graveyard shift so your America may witness the comfort of another morning. Where we came from is the forest that men we never met clear cut into their own feeding ground, leaving no scraps left for our children. We are starving, hunger, drives the body into imagination. Imagination is daring to love what is not in front of us, the second chance that we reach for when they cut off our hands, the shelter that we hammer around our children long before we can afford the floorboards, the reincarnation of our family when our homeland is reduced to ash. So what then is immigration if not imagination given a destination, a magic so powerful that it must be banned. For migrants, dreaming is a crime that they are beating out of us. What the journey cannot kill, they destroy with their hands as they chop off our wings and carpet the empire with our feathers. But even bones separated from limb do not forget the rhythm of their own flapping. Migrants are warriors. We risk everything to liberate ourselves a future that your America is not yet ready for. Long before the wilderness was ever fenced, we have been crossing borders. Every journey that we make is a choice to rather die soaring in the direction of dreams than die in the mouth of a gun. But if we die with our toes but a tripwire away from America, then look at us reborn into the sky, a stardust country bound by no borders. Look up and witness the warrior sun that no one's prison cell can ever extinguish. Our body is here to prove to you. Migration is magic. Of course they are afraid of all who possess it. When it will return to us, the world. Thank you.
3: My name is Jess x snow and i'm a queer asian american filmmaker artist and poet and um primarily my work is about making um uplifting queer communities of the diaspora and working in solidarity with with um with with my friends who who are from all parts of the gender spectrum and come from all over the world on activist projects together. That um, and just like working together to use art as a way to open open a world that we want the next generation to be able to live in sustainably. I guess whatever that meant. and I guess that could mean so many different things. And yeah. I guess that's the introduction (laughs) and what
1: what so what does your like artistic practice consist of i think that sounds like such a small question compared to what you just like opened up to us but maybe um let us know like what does a, a week in the life of jess consist of
3: um I wish that, like, I had, like, a good answer that sounds like I have a very organized artistic practice, but I really don't. But I I feel like I'm constantly in the process of trying to balance my time with, like, commissioned projects or, like, projects in service of social movements and work that I'm doing for my own healing. And I'm trying to bridge, um, I guess, like work that feels really healing for me with work that could potentially be healing for other people as well. Um, I guess I sometimes I'll write poetry on the sub subway and I'll write poetry in the spare moments of time that I have when I have something to say. I mostly write poetry for myself when I'm like heartbroken or feeling like a sense of, of loss about something or just wanting to celebrate, um, queerness I guess and then and then I like am working on a bunch of mural projects with um youth youth communities primarily like youth of color who do not have access to visual art spaces and are doing murals for the first time and um and I do that with like non-profits or grassroots organizations and then in between that I'm trying to work on screen writing screenplays for a film I'm recently applied to graduate school because I've just been um just really wanting some time to like focus more on one thing because I always just feel like I'm doing too many things so I think that's my um I'm trying to go to go to film school because I want to be a film director and I'm kind of tired of doing so many different things so yeah, so I hope in the future I'll have a more sustainable practice, but that's it for right now.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like it's sustained you pre- pretty well to this
3: point. Yeah, yeah, I think it sustains me, it keeps me afloat, but like, I just feel too, I just feel spread too thin. But all of those things are important to me, so sometimes it's just really hard for me to, to focus, I guess
1: yeah and can you describe some of your mediums that you work with? Um you you work collaboratively
3: a lot. Is that correct? Um, depends on the the project, but i'm I'm a poet and i'm a um I perform spoken word um, and uh, and I guess because like it just feels like s- spoken word poetry is a really accessible medium to talk about um really complicated things and it's like the oral tradition has been around since like the dawn of human civilization and all the animals they have like they communicate like orally i guess not all of them but a lot of them do and and i think like poetry is like draws back into the ancient history of like speaking and um oral communication and i think that's really important way to bring communities together and I guess on a similar vein like when I discovered mural making and public art projects I just found it to be like to see like the city wall as like it could be made into a doorway or a window into into a future and and I'm trying to use like um like the the city wall as as a space to like to like um, to talk about the future that I would want to see, or working with like with like young young artists to think about like what what message they would they would want to um, project for the world on a monumental scale, and then and then working together to make to make that happen, and then these youth are working on these huge murals that are like ten times the size of them, themselves, and and they see their own faces and favorite things um, and lines of poetry represented on these murals. And, and that's, that's also a, a, a source of, like, empowerment for these people. Um, yeah, and I'm also a filmmaker. And I guess it's, like, a similar type of collaboration, but through, through like, mixing, like, poetry and visual art into a time-based medium
0: mm.
1: yeah it seems like they're all very much storytelling based in their practice yeah yeah they are they are and so how did you how did you choose to own or do you choose to own that that term artist and um, was there a person that showed you that that way was possible somebody growing up or a mentor how did you how did you
3: choose to own and claim that Um, I think, I don't know if there was, like, one specific mentor, but, like, but, like, I guess, like, a lot of, like, Chinese kids growing up, their parents would always, like, pressure them to take these random extracurricular classes. Like, people were forced to, like, take piano lessons or take extra math classes because immigrant Asian parents are just, like, so, like, like, um, Put a lot of pressure on their kids, and then I like refused to take um, math classes or piano classes. And I was like, the only extra class I wanted to take is like art and stuff. And um, and like even though my parents were like against me studying like art, um, we we did find like a ch- they f- they had a friend who was like this um, immigrant art teacher who just came from. From China and then he just teaches like Chinese language speaking kids like um visual art like private 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 lessons out of his basement so then we my mom took me there and we tried that for like for like a week and it it was just like once a week and um and then like I really enjoyed it and then like he had a really surreal kind of style and then he he was the one of the first people who told me that art is where my art is where my future is and stuff and he told me about the differences between like art in the U.S. versus the art world in China and it was really interesting to learn about that so yeah
1: I was just gonna ask if your parents kind of um
3: allowed you that space to explore um well I was mostly raised by by my mom because my parents divorced when I was really young and um but I guess, like, my dad never really understood that side of me. Um, But, like, I think, like, they just wanted me to do it as a hobby, and they didn't think that it would take over my life the way that it did. And I just became really uncompromising with it. And I was like, if I'm going to have a future at all, I'm going to be an artist, and I don't care what, like, people think. And then my mom was just, like, worried about me being, like, not being able to make it or being really poor or like and and just wanting me to be like something more practical and stuff so I got a lot of like pressure about my career choice but um but I guess I was just really stubborn about it and I just like couldn't see myself doing anything else so yeah I don't know (laughs) um
1: and then and then now You're thriving. You're able to sustain yourself. Is that because you live simply or is that because you feel like to whatever um, capitalistic approach to success we hold as in living in Western civilization that you have succeeded?
3: Um, I think a lot of it is like, like, um, because I I feel like a lot of people feel like in America there's a lot of like... I mean especially right now in the Trump presidency there's so many terrible things going on and like so many people's rights are being violated but in comparison to where my parents grew up in in China where like it was like a total communist government and cultural revolution where like all art that that didn't have anything to do with Chairman Mao was like was like all illegal basically like people had no freedom of speech like in comparison to that i feel like the like living in the us is what has enabled me to be a visual artist that that talks about like political political topics and uses art as a tool for activism and this would not have been possible if my parents like stayed in china because there's like so many things that the chinese government still still censors to this day and and i think a lot of it is like their immigration is what has enabled me to be an artist. And, and I think that, um, and also what has enabled me to thrive, especially recently is that I feel like there has been like a huge demand for, for uh, uh, uplifting the voices of like, of, of like migrants and like, and like all of a sudden, like people are seeing that, that like, um, that, that like, that like uplifting people of color and queer people and like migrants and and all the marginalized groups is like super important to the to um to to in order to like um for the survival of culture and stuff and and like it's unfortunate that um right now there's more of a demand than before but i think like like, um, the recent activist movements have, have been part of what has enabled me to, like, to, like, have, have an audience and have, and be in, and, um, have a demand for my work, because there's also a lot of, like, a lot of students right now who are really hungry for, like, um, activist art and people to look up to, so I make a lot of my living, like, Speaking at um, universities because there's like these few student groups that bring bring me out and I think that's really inspiring because if like because if they are the future of this country then then mm-hmm. it reminds me that there's still hope I guess so mm-hmm. I like, think that's the complicated answer yeah. <laughs>
1: So how does your local environment or political or the like political temperature of where you are feed into your work? Um, And do you think that that has shifted reasonably since this new election or does that even matter?
3: Um, I think, well, I've always just surrounded myself with like, um, activists and artists, especially artists who, um, who like their life work is dedicated to uplifting their own communities. So I, I feel like ever since the new election, my community is always gonna stay the same no matter what happens. And I think that um we've just like been more intentional with building building spaces and organizing and uplifting each each other's um art and creating spaces of care and healing since the new election. But I guess that's something that we've always had. So I don't think it's changed so much. And I think that the way I'm able to keep on um, making work that feels true to me um, and, and is political, whether it's in a very intimate, personal way or in a more... Outwardly and directly, political ways because of the support of my community and because we're always in ga- engaging in these kinds of conversations. So, I think that's one thing that I've been re- really lucky to find in in New York.
1: And that's where you live now. That's where you're based out of, or are you from New York?
3: Um, no, I'm. I'm. I was spend most of my time in Seattle, but I'm actually canadian and i've lived in china canada and and the the u.s yeah um it seems like a
1: it seems like you have traveled a lot quite a bit and can you talk about uh, navigating your environment in relationship to like creating roots and that community that's creating safe space It it seems to mean something different when you're always on the road and um do you have maybe any advice on how to cultivate relationship and build in that um in that commun- community way with other activists and artists
3: Um I think um for a while I didn't have a home base and it was really hard to feel rooted in a community but I've come to realize that that home base is New York at least for now um And I think a lot of the times me moving and traveling, like when I was growing up, so much of it was not by choice. It was because like, um, my parents divorced. my mom um, immigrated to the U.S. to be with my aunt, and then I just followed her. And then she lost her job multiple times, and then she just moved to many different states. So I was moving probably like 12 times when I was growing up, and and then i'd always have to go back to canada to see my dad and then back to china to see my the rest of my family so a lot of it is cuz our my family is divided by like borders and stuff and um and then like recently i've seen the importance of needing to to have like a home base and have a chosen chosen family and a place that you can like call home and yeah, I think I just got so used to everything being impermanent that I just like kept on um, just like recreating that impermanence for myself. That even after I didn't even have to, have to move um, by force or by circumstance anymore, I just kept on doing it. And then I realized that like maybe it's important to choose a place and to and to like be committed to a. Uh, a place, even at least for like a little while. And I think that's what has enabled me to um, plant some, some roots, I guess. Yeah. So how do you,
1: how do you cultivate and hold those relationships? I mean, I just, I'm just curious about um, maybe the networking aspect of, when does friendship cross over into work and it just seems like such a valuable balance for um for somebody you know coming into like this role of activist quote unquote you know and being an artist like how how to how to respect each other at this space where we are at now in our in our world um in this world that's blown out so much by the internet and by um borders how i don't know i'm just kind of uh, fishing for advice or like um transparency on how you how you activate within communities across such a vast um geographic um space
3: i guess something that i'm trying to get better at is being a better friend to people who i care about because it's so easy to get swept up in activism and also like as a working artist that isn't on a nine to five schedule and just like prioritizing time to see friends is so important. And, um, but a lot of my friends are, end up being people that I do do work with because work has become such a central part of my life. Not, not even like by choice. It's just kind of the way things have happened and, and, and I want to, I guess I want to create like more boundaries because I think that if like this world is so, so much of it values like the work we are able to create and the products we are able to make. But, um, but I think that it's just so important to, to realize that it's, that we are not, our worth is not like based on like quantifiable means of, our work but but we we have we are we have like an infinite well inside of us of all the stories and and love um and we don't need to and it's it's always going to be be like infinite and stuff and i think it's important to remember remember that and to be able to like spend time cultivating and harvesting that in the forms of friendships where it's not just supposed to be work and i think that's something that i constantly forget and i'm trying to be better at so i guess i don't really know how to answer your question about the boundaries or like when friendship crosses into work i think it's all really entwined but i think french friendship deserves more prioritizing and yeah Mm. yeah family
1: yeah, it's it's really important. I think it's really complex in such a um, capitalist society. Like we measure success in such a way that um, mm-hmm. it it can entangle in everything we do. And there comes a point when you, you forget to love what you're doing because you're doing what you're doing to do it, to have the clout to do more <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. It's like this vicious cycle. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, but it seems like self care is important when you're when you're somebody who's working in such a whole system way. And do you have yeah. things that you do to take care of yourself? What what's your self care strategy?
3: It used to be really good because I was really heartbroken for a while, and then I would like meditate every morning and like. Um, Go on runs and stuff where I would have a lot of space to think. But then, like ever since my heart has become healed, I kind of like, like, have lost that habit. And I think it's sometimes like I feel like, because um, I just feel like the society never really teaches us how to like take care of ourselves. So then we end up being in these rock bottom situations where if we are in, if we want to even like keep living the only way to do that is to take care of ourselves and I feel like I don't want to be in that situation again and I'm trying to figure out a way to cultivate like a daily ritual of self-care and I think the first thing that I'm trying to focus on to do that is to create more time for me to do do like work that is for me or, or even like not even work just like things for myself because I feel like I haven't really been able to do that. But when I was in Hawaii with my partner who's from Hawaii and then we, I found a love for snorkeling and now I want to learn how to be a scuba diver Mm. (laughs) and I was got really into hiking and I think those are modes of self-care, but I'm learning that we have to really like set aside time for it or else it's never going to happen so, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's true. It's true. You have to take time for those
3: those things,
1: things that like really give you that that joy, that simplicity. And yeah. na- nature is so important. I mean, for me anyway. Um I'm from Hawaii too, you know, so I mean, yeah. when you say these things, I just like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, let's let's step in a little bit to talk about um, the engagement that you take in your art with your queerness, and how does that play? How does that play a role in your work? How much do you um, center your queerness in your work, and why?
3: I don't think it's like the most directly present thing in my work, but it's a very important part of my life and I feel like um when people are expected to like when people identify in a certain identity they're expected to make work that is directly about it that has like queer and like capital letters or something and and like I think it's really important for work like that to be out there but I'm starting to realize that my the queerness that exists in my work is um is in is in how A lot of my work is inspired by the earth and the and the animals and how like the the earth is queer and the ocean um is queer and there's like animals have there's some animals with multiple genders or and animals that have are mutually penetrable like leopard slugs and and um and how like and if they are made of of carbon and water, then the Earth and the ocean must be queer too. So if um, all of those things, like the ocean and and the queer, um, oysters, queer and trans oysters, and the sun and the plants, are in my work, then the queerness is kind of like um, takes takes that form. And I feel like like Um, I I just feel like when people talk about the earth at least like in like white environmentalist spaces like they separate the earth from queerness and from brownness and from like like um, like just like like so many um, like eons of indigenous resistance and I think the earth is like all of those those things and um so I think when I think about my queerness I think about the ocean and and the animals I guess (laughs) and yeah and that's always been in my work and and I have a poem that's about that it's it's about how, how like the idea that queerness is against nature literally doesn't make any sense because if you look at nature nature is anything but um um, heteronormative, like queerness is the norm. Like everything is the norm. So <laughs> um, I was
1: really interested in, uh, in talking about your immigration. Um, I was really <laughs> in, interested in talking about your immigration work and story as it relates to your art, because it just seems like such a big activated thing right now um
3: Mm -hmm. you know
1: a lot of people who've never had to think about immigration are all of a sudden tied to it in this way that they've never been before so I was interested in Mm -hmm. that more maybe I just didn't know how to um how to ask you but if you have anything you'd like to say any thoughts or ideas about that further
3: that'd be cool if not no worries yeah, I guess, like, my migration story, um, a lot of it is just in the poetry, though, and I guess I talked a little bit about it earlier, um, mm-hmm. but, but I also, like, feel like, I don't even feel like my migration story is the most important migration story that needs to be highlighted right now, because there's so many people, like, who, like, there's so many, so many refugees and, like, and, like, undocumented people people who are like whose whose lives are really at risk right now and I guess sometimes I feel like 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 they should be the people who are like telling their stories I guess because mm. I don't know but I but I do know that like it's important to share migration stories and when one person does it also empowers other people to do so as well but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah, but I definitely feel like identify as someone whose life has been divided by borders and my whole family is divided by borders and immigration is a huge part of why um, I'm able to make the art that I'm, I'm making now without the fear of like censorship and stuff. And, um, and I think um, cause like, cause like um, I guess like the other, a few days ago, like this queer Chinese photographer named Ren Han, he he like committed suicide recently, and and I guess that's something that I just like think about, like, um, just like the queer queer artists in in China who are trying to make art about like their own reality and their own lives and how hard it must be when pe- people feel like they must be in hiding like all the time and um, and I think that my migration story a lot of it like has to do with um, trying to communicate with, with um, people who are from who are like from a different generation and also like an entirely different different culture where things such as like queerness was like like wasn't even a part of people's like vocabulary and or was just like this really taboo thing and and just like trying to bridge that divide as as well as the physical divide between me and um and like my ancestors and my and and the ways that um I feel like I don't belong in the U S and I also don't belong in, in China. And I don't feel like there is a country really that I identify with. So I just feel like that's why I identify with chosen family, I guess. So,
0: Hmm.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good. It's good to have a safe space like that with people that you, you get to choose. (laughs) It's important. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: Is your dream project if there was no restrictions on time or money or space what would you like to create
3: um that's a really good question um so i guess it's like two projects there's a film that i've been working on for like the last like four years or so um but it hasn't even turn into screenplay form yet and that's why I'm going to film school because I'm realizing if I can't don't even have time as a freelance um full-time artist to be be able to take care of myself like I need to like be able to focus on one thing for a little bit and not take work that is that is and not take paid work and try to like go back to so if that happens um I'll make that film but even if I don't go to school I'll still make the film eventually and then I guess the other dream project is to create a mode of film production that that works directly with like um like queer youth and youth of color and indigenous youth to like come together and and have them like be mentored by other people in the film crew and work on films together and also work on murals together and have like um like artist space where um where like the youth can be a vital part of part of a filmmaking project um but it's not just a film that is like an exercise with the youth like it's a real film that will be screened in festivals but the youth can have like an experience of being being a part of something like that and i'm not entirely sure how how that would work but i just feel like in the art world so much of community based art or art created with communities is not seen as like real art that gets to go to like um these like art spaces and stuff and i think that doesn't really make sense to me and i think that like how amazing would it be if like if like young people were working on films and have had opportunities to be in like films like Moonlight or like or to be in like Miyazaki films or something, you know? Like I think so that's my dream project and maybe it'll take a long time to get there, but yeah.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um yeah. And what advice would you give to yourself, the artist, um, that you were perhaps 10 years ago? What advice would you give to yourself 10 years ago as an artist? Um, I think
3: that's a good question. Um, I think 10 years ago, I probably, um, would have told myself that, um, it's okay if, if you fail or if you, um, don't know a hundred percent what, what you want to be doing when, um, like the work that you're doing right now, it doesn't have to be this grand, like perfect, like solid thing because who you are when you're 10 versus when you're 20 versus when you're 30 is in, is always going to change and grow. And you don't, have to be super set in in your ways and um and that the the journey of being an artist and and um and growing into all the different artists that you will be, I think that journey itself it's is so beautiful and that um my younger self had already had everything that it took to be an artist and all the stories i have to tell they're already inside of me but like and you don't have to go super far to find those stories you just have to learn to to like give yourself time um to take care of yourself so those stories can come out naturally if that makes sense mm. yeah definitely because I think I spent a lot a lot of my youth just like feeling like I had to like do everything right now at this moment and if I didn't do it then then like I would fail as an artist or something and I'm realizing that it's not true and we don't need to put so much pressure on ourselves because life is longer than what is imaginable when you're young I guess yeah
0: Mm.
1: So this is your soapbox moment. If you could say one thing to the world, to the universe, using this humble podcast as your platform, what would it be?
3: I don't know. I think um I think um, for like for like people who have felt marginalized in some way or another or have felt like their life is out of control because of the power structures that surround us I think that um that like that like it's really important to create like to create like um a home even if it's not a physical home even if it's just like a home that's within a poem or a piece of art and and when everything is really chaotic around us, um, the reason why we have art is to create like like a center where we want the rest of our lives and our, our dreams to to grow from. And um art can be I don't know, like art can. I don't know. I don't know. It just sounds really corny. I don't know. <laughs> something Sometimes
1: else. you need that that cheesy corniness, though, because yeah. it's real. So, like, don't be afraid. Yeah. Like, what you're saying is so beautiful. Like, yeah. please, please share.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, like, whatever that looks like for you, it's important to cultivate your home on a blank piece of paper or a song and and then the more you build on it the, um, it will gradually become more real and then your life will be a part of it too
0: hmm.
3: yeah because that's why I'm still here I guess because I always just felt like my, everything around me was too chaotic so yeah
0: thank you